Today we're going to be a bit uh, freeform, as it were, and I'm not exactly sure where we're going. So let me just kind of set the table and, and lay out a few things uh, before we open the floor to hear from you. Um, everyone here, uh, if you've lived very long at all, if you're certainly if you're an adult, uh, but many young people as well have grieved. We've sometimes grieved over smaller things. Uh, changes in our lives and, and what have you. But most of us have grieved over the death of someone we loved. It might have been a grandparent or a parent or a child or a friend or a neighbor, but we have all tasted grief. So we know something about it, all of us. There are different levels of grief, as we've talked about. And some grief is extremely intense. And I think if you think about emotions, have you ever been just mildly agitated? are furious. They're essentially the same emotions, but very different degrees of the same emotion. And that's the way emotions are. And grief, in many ways, is an emotion. Uh, and we shouldn't diminish it at all. Emotions are part of who we are. Emotions are critical to who we are. We are logical beings and we are emotional beings, and those two things have to work together. Sometimes one takes precedent over the other. And so sometimes we might say about someone who's being a little too rational or mechanical that they need to have a little more passion and feeling and emotion in what they're doing. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us and we can't think straight. That's a human condition. And so grief, uh, like the other emotions, when it's in its more intense forms, can uh, be devastating. It can be uh, overwhelming. And the other thing we have to remember about, many things we have to remember about grief, but it is often described as a bit of a roller coaster. There are, very, there are highs and lows. There are moments of intense sorrow and pain, and there are other moments where uh, we're either distracted or um, uh, in some other way don't feel the intensity of it, only to have it come rushing back in. It is also uh, one of those emotions and feelings that is surprising. Uh, it comes out of nowhere sometimes. It's a, it's a grief is something that, uh, particularly the more intense type, is lasting. It doesn't go away easily, even though on the outside someone may appear to have, used, to use the term, moved on. You never really move completely on. It's part of who you are. It's a it's, it's part of your life experience, and it'll always, it always will be. And so uh, you can't always go by what you see. Uh, you, there, there are things going on that, that are hidden and unseen. But that's true of all of our feelings, right? You have emotional thoughts and, and feelings about this, that, and the other, and not everybody knows those. In fact, if we, as we get to know each other better and have those uh, evenings at, around the dinner table or on the front porch or with one another, we are often surprised uh, as we learn about someone's life experience or what they think or feel, or, and uh, we might go, wait, I never knew that about that person. And so all that's to say grief is complex. It is personal, and it is corporate. It is something we all share in common because we live in what the Puritans referred to as the veil of tears, this fallen world. And we look forward to living in a world that doesn't have that veil. Uh, no more tears. And so we have a commonality, and yet there's a uniqueness to it, and that's some of what we want to talk about today. 
I think the other thing I want to emphasize, uh, uh, for example, Marinelle's parents uh, both died when she was young. And uh, that's been uh, how many years now, Marinelle, for your dad? Fifty years, and your mom a few years after that. So um, time does dull grief in that you have had a lot of things happen in your life. We've, she got married, had a family, has grandkids. She's a busy lady uh, with so many things in her life, and yet there are those moments still when that comes back as something fresh and new perspectives on it, new thoughts about it. And so um, that's just the nature of this world. Becky gave me a, a song. Becky, what's the story on that? You just heard it or? A roommate and I, we were all Okay. I actually looked it up and found the original poem. I found it. It's called The Master Weaver's Plan. Sometimes it's called The Tapestry Poem. And it was written by Benjamin Malachi Franklin. Uh, he lived uh, 1882 to 1965, and he wrote this poem in the late 40s, and it was published in the Memphis Commercial Appeal newspaper in 1950. Then it became a song. The version you gave me had a chorus that must have been added, but there is actually another verse here that, over the one you gave me. So I'm going to just read this as a way to get us started here. Uh, the master weaver's plan. My life is but a weaving between the Lord and me. I may not choose the colors. He knows what they should be. For he can view the pattern upon the upper side, while I can see it only on this, the underside. Sometimes he weaves in sorrow, which seems so strange to me, but I'll trust his judgment and work on faithfully. Tis he who fills the shuttle and he knows what is best. So I shall weave in earnest and leave to him the rest. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needed in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And so I think that's a lovely image of God's doing things we don't completely understand or see, but we will. So, what I'd like to do uh, in a few minutes is I'm going to read some things that Glenn wrote down regarding his own grief. But before we do that, let me first open up and say, anybody have anything? Uh, and this is going to be all over the place here. So you can ask a question, you can tell a story, you can make an observation, whatever you would like to do on this broad subject of suffering and sorrow, or more specifically, grief. How many here have been, have grieved? Okay, well, like I said. So I know you have something to say. Well, I, I would say that uh, I know that uh, it becomes such an uncomfortable subject with people, particularly when someone's went through a uh, death or, or heavy grieving, people just don't know what to say. And I think uh, that's oftentimes, that's just the way it is. There's not anything you can say to be comforting, but I think that there's a real failure uh, for Christian people not to just be there and be a comfort. And 
even though they're they can, you know, I think that oftentimes just showing someone that you love them, even if you say the wrong thing, is better than not saying anything at all and avoiding the subject. Because everybody gets uncomfortable, and uh, I think that's a, that's a bad thing. Yeah, and everything new is awkward, and hopefully we don't have to do this often, uh, often enough that we get comfortable with it. But we do need to do it, and we've talked, that's a lot of why we've had these lessons. So you do know what to do, and you do know some things to say. One other thing I uh, remind you of that we didn't really touch on is that grief doesn't just, it does impact, obviously, individuals, but it impacts families. So children are involved uh, and, and through the, through the ages and, and different time, depending on when you live, how people react uh, to death, how death is treated and observed varies a great deal. So there was a time in history when someone died, the body was in the home, and maybe for some time, and neighbors came. And, and you know, uh, so body might be in the back bedroom or even in the living room. And so whereas now it tends to be more hidden, and, and I know when we were young, uh, particularly when it came to children. Children were kind of guarded from that and so-called protected from this. I'm not. I'm pretty sure that's not a good idea. Uh, I'm not saying there's not some wisdom uh, in certain aspects of it to be careful there uh, with tender souls, but um, but death is a reality, and sometimes when we're hidden from it, it uh, that's a problem. And then also the other problem is when when death strikes a family, is it's easy. You're so focused upon your own grief, the loss of a person, or someone's been sick. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are surrounding that, and then there are other needs that are still present, and it's hard to know sometimes exactly what to do and when to do it. And so uh, it ends up impacting other, other people in the family in ways that uh, maybe aren't realized at the time. And so paying attention, and, and, and again, not only the comforters not knowing what to do, the grieving don't know what to do. And so you get two sets of people who don't know what to do and put them together and shake. You can, you know, it doesn't always turn out so as well as you would like on either side. And it's easy to kind of uh, blame one or the other uh, when I think we all need to be a little more patient with each other in these things. Anybody, anybody else? Steve? Not do to wonder what to do to mention not doing anything. You're, you're deciding what to do. No. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. But sometimes, I'd say most of the time, it's not the right thing to do. Something, anything, or just like you say, being there is the most important thing to do. That's good something. You know, I think one of the things we've learned from um, one of our dear saints, Mrs. Hall, who sends us all a card. And it's not a card like I send you, if I send you one. Um, how many got a card from Don't Read? <laughs> I hate shopping for cards. Um, and then when I get one, I'm never fully satisfied with it. And But I, what I know about what she does, and this I think carries over in the same kind of thing with grief, writing a hand note means probably uh, as much as anything. And I know she takes the time to make cards and to think about us and to remember us. 
and that all by itself, in addition to very lovely cards, I might add. But that's the bonus. The lovely card is the bonus. The thought, the love, is the thing. And so you can go for a visit, and if you just say, man, I'm afraid I'll fall apart if I go, well, then write a card or write a letter. That's something we don't do much anymore. I suggest you don't do the email. Um, Just write it out and send it. Yes, Susan. On the subject of children and grief, um, as a child, our family was raised. We always went to funerals with our parents. We, you know, understood the difference between in the Lord and not in the Lord. Fortunately, we didn't have many instances of wondering about someone. But it was true that death is a natural part of life, and that's the way our parents approached it. And that's the way we approached it with our children, who are now grown, obviously. But in other parts of our family, when Mike's grandmother died, for example, his niece would go to the funeral home to look at that body, even though that was her great You know, that kind of attitude. I think it's important to teach children that, obviously, we know when saints die, they're with the Lord, and we can not wish them back. But it's important for children to understand that that is a part of life, and grieving happens because we live in a long world. Yes, Kathy. I just have a little story when my dad died, and he was little, and we didn't know really how to talk to him. And uh, it was in 91, so he was, oh, in 4 to 91, and he was little. And so we tried to explain how the gravity got to heaven. And we went into the viewing room, and it was very plush with all the red velvet and gold. And Andy just looked up and he said, is this heaven? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that brings up an important point is the children, remember, remember this, I told the story about the father took the son to the baseball game and the guy hit the grand slam to win the game. The crowd's going crazy, but the, the six-year-old little boy, doesn't, he saw the same thing. But he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't know what a home run is and he doesn't know what the pennant is and he doesn't know the significance. He doesn't know how to interpret what's going on. And so with children, I do think it's really important to take the time uh, and they're going to still miss some of it. Uh, that's what kids do, and that's it's uh, that's fine. But um, don't assume too much is, is, I think, an important thing. Take some time with them and talk with them and love on them and all that. So, all right. Who else? Yes, David. Kind of a pastoral question: How should we comfort unbelievers when unbelievers have died? Well, I always come back to this basic principle. Uh, so how should we comfort unbelievers uh, who, when an unbeliever has died? Is that was your question? Um, you know, obviously, uh, the, the, what we have to do is ask the question, what do we know? Well, we know God is just. We know God is loving. We know God, whatever God's, however he's handling that, we're not going to get there and say that was, that was bad or that was unjust or unfair. But I don't think that's the time to focus upon that situation as much as it is to try to point them to comfort that in, that uh, God sent his son. I mean, it's always an opportunity for the gospel. You know, again, I think you have to be wise and gracious and gentle. There's a time and a place for certain discussions, and that's, uh, that's where I would, how I would kind of direct the conversation. Larry? God will chasten us by taking things away, taking them up for you. 
But then again, it might not. Some loss might not be because of chasing it, maybe for some other reason. How productive is it to try to tie some loss to some sin? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, that's true of almost any trial. You know, the question is, God punishing me? That's kind of a natural question. If something bad happens, uh, that could be because you're having a flat tire, or it could be something way more serious with the death of someone, or your phone ringing, or you're uh, <laughs> in church. Uh, um, yes, God is punishing you, Jonathan. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, we're God's children. He does chastise us. He does discipline us. He does teach us through grief and trials. And unless there's a direct connection, you know, if I was, uh, if it was a DUI and I, I was the one driving, I probably need to look at what I need to repent of and deal with and confess to and all those things. But, but a death in general, like through sickness or sudden death or unexpected, you know, uh, I do think morbid introspection is not helpful. God loves me. He's forgiven my sins. He, he's going to t- teach me through grief. But I, I think it would be wrong to try to spend a bunch of speculative time about what could have, should have. You know, we were talking a little bit about that last night with, with a family. And uh, sometimes you'll have somebody who's saying, well, what if I had done this? What if I had gotten into the hospital five minutes sooner? What if I had gotten a different kind of treatment? What if I had done this or that? Well, there's a lot of, you know, what ifs that you have zero control over. And I I would just always urge people not to uh, do that. That, That's not productive. It's not helpful. If there's some specific sin that's connected directly to an event, then you may have to deal with it. And apart from that, um, that's not healthy. Robin. There's a lot of grief associated with infertility. And I have a hard time knowing Uh, that's that's good I think it's really helpful because I've I've said and we haven't really focused on it obviously on that scale of grief we we see when someone dies we we immediately know there's a grieving person or a grieving family a grieving church or circle of friends but remember grief is an emotion that we feel in other settings as well um, when there's some other kind of turmoil in our life and in the case of oftentimes a person who wants to have a child, we see that in the case of Hannah, of course, in the Bible. She would come to the temple and they actually thought she was intoxicated because she was just carrying on so. Uh, but it was her grief being expressed over not being able to have a child. And um, it's, sometimes that's hard to understand. And again, grief is not always rational. Uh, any more than any other emotion is always rational. It's, it's, it, there's a blend there, but sometimes the emotion gets the best of us. The fear that's associated with what if I never have this thing that I want? I want a child so badly and I don't have it. And so, you know, I, obviously at the root of anything like that is a, uh, a lack of trust in God, a lack of uh, understanding sometimes and what they should be. Seeing that doesn't make you happy, you know. I don't. I don't like everything God does in my life, but oftentimes, just with any kind of grief, it's not knowing what we should know about uh, God's sovereignty, God's providence, that God does many. In fact, this morning I'll be preaching on the subject of adoption, and I would urge people to consider that, for example, um, <clears throat> because uh, 
we're going to see that that becomes one of the remedies. Of course, in the case of Hannah, God did ultimately answer that question. Sometimes it's uh, getting ahead of the game. Not always, but it's uh, certainly uh, seen many, many folks who were anxious about that, um, in some cases adopted and then immediately got pregnant. So I think that's a big, big question. Seek, seek medical help if, if, you, if that's needed. Pray with them. Uh, love them. Talk to them about adoption. Not saying oh, you do all this at one time. Wisdom would say little by little and, and deal with it. Is there anything else you might, you want to add to that? What, how have you done that? Well, all those things already happened. So there's a point where it's having, having your own child is essentially hopeless. Okay. And they're all thinking of adoption, but they still have that. Well, you know what? What I would say is, um, I don't want to ever deny somebody's grief. The question, remember, the, the grieving person can. Not saying any, this particular person is. I don't know that. A grieving person can sin too in the grief. In other words, you can not trust God. You cannot do the things that you're called to do. And so, I would just continually urge people to do the things that they should do. If if they adopt, if they're successful in adopting, my experience is that that grief will go away. That uh, the love for that child will be so intense and so much uh, fill that void that that will will diminish, if not disappear. Yes, Susan? Speaking specifically to that issue, our eight years of loss to pregnancies and stuff before we had our children, one thing that I really learned was never to say, I understand. That's an important thing that I learned to say. I can only imagine what you're going through yeah. because if someone's standing there and they've experienced something that you haven't, you really can't say you understand. You can understand as much as you can. But saying, oh, I understand that you're going to have a baby, don't worry about it, just is another dagger. That's yeah. a long thing to say in so many situations. Again, words matter. Words are powerful, and words can hurt intentionally, but they can also hurt unintentionally. And I would remind those of us, when we're grieving, to be patient with other people. They're not trying to hurt us. They're not trying to be insensitive. They, that Even when they say, I understand, I mean, we've all heard people say, don't, don't say I, you understand. And I agree with that. Don't, I advise you not to do that because it's often misunderstood. <laughs> uh, it's, it's taken in the wrong way as somehow you think you're their equal and no one could feel what I'm feeling right now. Um, I'm the only one that can feel that. Well, remember, there's this balance between what's mine and what's ours. Everybody virtually raised their hand. We've all felt grief. And in that sense, we do understand, but not in the, the immediate sense. Again, if, if, if I have a broken leg... Uh, you may have had one, but it's not mine. And I'm, I'm the one feeling the pain right now, not you. And yours might not have hurt just like mine did. Probably didn't. Okay, but so I'm going to call for both parties, the grieved and the, and the comforters. Comforters should be wiser in how they say things. Say, you know, I really sympathize with you. I'm sorry for your loss. Or, you know, I, I can only imagine uh, and I'm sure that falls short. You know, go out of your way to be uh, sensitive to that person's personal situation. 
And then I'd urge those that are grieving not to get bothered by people awkward. I want you to come back and remember, I think Steve alluded to this, you, you know, it's better to go and to say the wrong thing than to not go or to, you know, to make an effort. I want the grieving to remember that, okay? Don't be impatient in either direction. Yes, Glenn. On what Steve, what you're talking about there, to act like it never happened, to not say anything and just pretend it didn't happen, it did happen. Yeah. And it's on your mind. Yeah. You think you're going to say the wrong thing and someone may get emotional, so you don't say it. But it's already on your mind. It's there. That's right. Well, and sometimes we don't, and I know even, uh, I know myself, I'm uh, often concerned about whether I'm going to be able to keep it together, and sometimes we don't say something because I'm afraid I'll fall apart, or uh, someone might have that view. It's okay to fall apart. Maybe we all need to fall apart a little more often, okay? That's that's, uh, part of it is we're all trying to keep it together. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to to, uh, not worry about that, Steve. I guess we'll get real far from the little to everybody in the room. Um, you know, one of the things about not knowing what to do to effectively simplify what Susan said and what I'm going is it is on our mind, but not everything is terrible about grief. Um, you know, I watched some terrible and wonderful things during Zachary's life and death. And it's all part of the experience. And just because you don't want to say anything doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. And I want everybody here to feel free to ask questions, get into the discussion with that guy. Yeah, that's probably going to be clear if that makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. But it's not all sad. And it's actually wonderful. And I, I watched the sun. Show me how to dial when I get there. And uh, that's the light. And I'm, I'm just the death of I would say part of the grief process, if I can use that word, it's a word I don't like a lot, but there is certain things going on. Uh, is the memories and the and when you don't talk about it, it's like, oh, this person didn't exist. Let me tell you about what he was like. Let me tell you what he did. Let me uh, and. And I, I was around Zach a little bit uh, in that last year or so, not a lot, but a little. And what I always enjoyed was his sense of humor, even when I'm thinking, how could you possibly have a sense of humor at this point? Um, his, uh, his commitment to his family and the love that I'd see there. Uh, oftentimes he was the one doing the ministering to everybody else who couldn't figure out you know, exactly how to minister to him. He knew how to minister to others. So there are, there are a lot of happy Thing. So, so you end up with these tears that are both sorrow and tears of happiness. And somehow all that gets jumbled together, uh, I guess back to the weaver, right? <laughs> and so those things go together. Well, let me, I want to read what Glenn wrote. I think we've got about the right amount of time here to finish up with this. I asked Glenn uh, if he wanted to say something, and he, uh, uh, instead he uh, decided to write something that I'm going to read if I can get through it. And I was surprised, in a way, at how much it was like C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed. Very uh, kind of stream of consciousness, just random thoughts uh, and uh, about this. And so 
Let me just read it to you. I thought about taking excerpts from it, but I've decided to, to read it all. And then I thought that, and then uh, he walked in with a stack of cards again this morning to add to it. So I, we're not going to get to all those. Um, I'm picking on him, but that's, I suspect you could produce another stack this week, couldn't you? Okay. Pastor Booth asked me to say something on the subject of grief, my grief. I have wanted to say something. This series of lessons on grief has been an emotional time for me. I know if I try to tell this, I'll come off as a blubbering idiot. So I have written this to be read. There's no clear-cut point or direction to this. It's mostly a collection of random anecdotal thoughts. None of, none of this has any kind of order because grief doesn't have any kind of order. He was 13 years old, nearly 14, no longer a boy, but started on a path to be a man. His name was Kevin. He is my son. He died on September the 7th, 1992. It was Labor Day. I had to stop writing a few minutes to cry. I will never in this world know him as a man. Why, God? Why would you take my baby? I was a good daddy. I tried to raise him the way you said. So why would you take him? I don't understand. Lee told me two or three years after Kevin died that if it were in his power, he would not bring Kevin back from the glory he was in. I would have. I'm selfish. I wanted Kevin with me. I don't understand. Lee and I are good friends. When the boys were young, young, I never tried to be their friend. I was too busy being their daddy. No regrets on that part. I still know that's the way God intended, but... I will never in this life be able to be Kevin's friend. Pastor Booth read last week how C.S. Lewis described grief as like having your leg amputated. I have used that analogy before. I too have a peg leg. I have a very distinct limp. Most of you may never have noticed my limp. Steve Ramsey sees it very clearly. He has the same limp, only worse. He's still learning to walk on his peg leg. I can't even walk without this limp, so how can I run the race that I used to run? I can't. But praise God, he has a race even one-legged people can run. He has set before me a new course. Pray for me and with me that by his grace I will finish it. Some of you might have seen me and Steve hug each other last Sunday after the Sunday school lesson. Nothing said, nothing to say. Nothing needed to be said, just the need to hold and be held. Pastor Booth read from C.S. Lewis last week about the door being shut and bolted. I went for years with the answer to every prayer seemed to be no. I know now that the answer was no, not yet. I remember the first time it rained after Kevin died. I could imagine him over there in the cemetery with the rain falling in his face. I was powerless to protect him. That hurt. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what grief is. Pain, powerlessness, and craziness. I could write a lot more to describe grief, none of it good. Joan had a book. I never read the book. The title was, When Your Dreams Die. Are the hopes and dreams you have for your children the same as a vision? Where there is no vision, the people perish. 
What do you do in the middle of the night when something wakes you up? You know something wakes you up. You're laying there trying to figure out what it was, and you realize it's the bed shaking. Your wife is crying from a broken heart. What would you do? Joan had a lot of physical ailments in the 90s. The last major episode that I remember, we went to the doctor's office, and after a short exam, he didn't find anything. I made the statement, today is the anniversary of Kevin's death. And she said, do you think I'm crazy? And my answer then and now, no. But when the pain comes so great to the mind, when the pain becomes so great, the mind and the body may try to redirect that pain. It has to come out some way. I'm the only daddy to ever lose Kevin. In some ways, I don't think I have a clue what it's like for Steve to lose Zach. He wasn't mine. I can't tell you. I can tell you all about Kevin's death. It used to infuriate me when someone would say he lost his son. No, I didn't lose him. People lost keys and tools and wallets and things. He was not a thing. He was not an it. He was my son. His name was Kevin. He died. I still miss him. I'm sure it was in the fall of 1994. I was listening to, at that time, a very well-known TV pastor. He made the statement, quote, I don't care if you've lost a child, if you don't snap out of it pretty quick. I don't have any sympathy for you. I think it was the following week I heard another TV pastor make this statement. I can't imagine anything more devastating to a parent than the death of a child. Quite a difference in opinion from Christian ministers, wouldn't you say? By the way, when I heard the first pastor make that statement, I took the remote control and turned him off. He had nothing else to say that I wanted to hear. I wanted to ask him how many of his own children he had buried. If there is such a thing as hell on earth, I've been there, lived there for quite a long time. That place is grief. You cry till you just can't cry anymore. You get up and you go till you can cry again. Sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes. I heard Pastor Booth talk last week about nursing your grief. I have no doubt I probably nursed mine some. But who in their right mind would choose to live in that much pain? The key words are right mind. When the boys were young, we took a tour of the Longhorn Caverns, halfway, and halfway through the tour they told us that they were going to turn the lights off and that we should be quiet. Total darkness, total silence, no sense of direction. That's grief. So very thankful when the lights came back on. They did come back on. They will. For me, some comfort came from seemingly the strangest of people, some rough and ready men who, know they, who knew they didn't have any answers but were willing to just listen and not be judgmental. They stood over me and guarded me while I cried. Joshua, mighty in battle, needed friends to hold his arms up when he became too weary to hold them up himself, lest his enemies prevail. The friends had to take turns holding up his arms when they became weary. Me. 
To describe the pain, ask a woman to describe childbirth. Now imagine childbirth from the top of your head to the tips of your toes to the depth of your soul all day, every day, for years. They talk about the patience of Job. As a Christian, I felt like I was body slammed by God. You're laying there flat on your back and the breath knocked out and God has his foot on your chest. All you can do is look up, wait for God, and wait for God to let you up. From the lessons we've been taught on death, heaven, and grief, I come away with this thought. For a Christian grieving for a Christian, grief is very selfish. So is this selfishness a sin? I believe the answer is a resounding no. If it were, he would, not, he would have never said to mourn, the, mourn with those who mourn and comfort one another. Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I say, the Lord gave you this grief, this pain, and when he takes it away, how much more blessed will his name be? But praise God. Thank you, Lord. He didn't leave me in this place. He gave me a new vision. He gave me a new home. That vision came in the form of my grandchildren. New hopes, new dreams, new joys. That new home is called Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. As far as my new church home, my new family, my new community, I feel like the people at the wedding feast when Jesus turned water into wine. The master of the house saved the best for last. To those who want to comfort someone who's grieving, I'd say, look at Job's friends. If the story of Job were happening today, I would say that they were Christian friends. They sat with him seven days without saying a word. I have experienced a great loss, and I still don't know what to say to someone who's grieving. Sometimes there's nothing worse than a well-meaning but misguided Christian. If you're a Christian and grieving, I would say to you, you have trusted him up to now. Trust him a while longer. But how long will it take, you ask? As long as it takes, that's how long it'll take. In Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time to mourn. The catch to that statement is that no one knows how long a time is except God. I believe I now have a better grasp on the sovereignty of God. That time will be as long as it takes for God's sovereign will and plan to be fulfilled in your life and those around you. I know that Kevin's life has affected hundreds of lives greatly. Sometimes I wonder if... He had, if he would have had that big of an impact had he lived. As I write this, remember a very humbling and joyful experience. I remember a very humbling and joyful experience that I had before God a couple of years ago. I asked God, what have I ever done to deserve such a blessing? And God answered my question immediately. It's not about you. It has never been about you. It has always been about him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, even in the midst of our darkest moments and griefs. We know that Christ 
sympathizes with us because he was a man that was acquainted with sorrow and grief as well. So Lord, I ask that you would comfort all who are grieving even today, that they would find their rest and peace in Jesus Christ and in your promises and in the hope that is set before us. Help us to be good comforters, good friends, good brothers and sisters. And equip us to be greater servants to those in this community and in our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.